August 22nd, 1999. The Sixth Sense was number one for the third week, and we were getting pretty tired of waiting for Steve to see it before talking about the ending. Lou Bega offered up a little bit of Mambo, and it turns out a little was enough. ABC asked, who wants to be a millionaire? And we answered, literally everybody. Meanwhile, in Minneapolis, Minnesota, a former governor turned referee wasn't having anyone's nonsense at SummerSlam. Spell lugubrious. This is Helena Selma. Sixth Sense is the first movie I saw where I was like, whoa, cinema is art. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I was like a dumb dumb child, and I was like, wow, movies can surprise you. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) It's like I feel like the first time I was like, wow, someone directed? What does that mean? Uh, (laughs) Very wild. Yeah, that, that notion. Is this the invention of the spoiler alert? Is this what it was invented for? I mean, I guess not, right? I mean, I, I'm sure someone on like a on like a kinetoscope or whatever was trying to keep that ending hidden, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, no, originally, originally people were like, you know, at the end, everybody is Spartacus, and people were like, whoa, come on, man. I feel like if we want to talk about the modern context of the spoiler, the Crying Game was Ooh, was a major yeah, one. Yeah, that's the biggest one. Because that w- that like they built that into the advertising campaign for that. They're like, do not spoil the surprise of the Ugh. crying game. And then the Simpsons actually did spoil it. Yeah, that was like the big joke that they had. I know, which is like, uh, it's all, it's it's a it's a fucked up thing. I mean, I, I remember watching the movie and fi- like I finally watched the movie and I was like, okay, there's a lot going on here, and like problematic as it is, it's it's there's a lot. I don't know. I, I I guess it's hard to. I'd have to rewatch it with twenty twenty eyes to see. You're talking about the six cents, you know? Yeah. <laughs> no, the crying game. Problematic um, against ghosts. Ghosts don't act like that. But it, well, it's funny when you mentioned the sixth sense. I was thinking to myself, like, is that what? Like, was that M Night Shyamalan's good movie, or was it? Or like, did we just think it was? Because like every movie I've seen of M Night Shyamalan since. Even the ones that I liked at the time, I've been like, oh, man, this guy's really, like, he's just heavy-handed with a lot of shit. And I wonder how heavy-handed he was with Sixth Sense, but we just didn't, re- like, realize it at the time. Well, well let I me tell so. you, as a 13-year-old, I was very <laughs> impressed. I think Sixth No, Sense that was, for 13-year-old, that's the right amount of hand. I think for 1999, The Sixth Sense is a good movie. It's so funny. You might say I had a sixth sense about this because I re- I literally just last night made a reference to this movie on uh, like in apropos of nothing or whatever. Uh, Nathan and I were sitting around last night talking about how you know we're losing all muscle tone in our bodies because we don't walk around or move like we used to. And I was like, yeah, like of course you're losing muscle tone, Nathan. You have your whole life in bed. You work in bed and you sleep in bed and you eat in bed and you just are like Misha Barton in the sixth sense. And I'm like, I'm out here sleeping on the couch like Misha Barton in that episode of Law and Order SVU. <laughs> Ha. It was just like a really good Misha Barton back-to-back one-two punch. <laughs> Take that, Misha I Barton. I did not know Misha Barton. Barton was in that movie. Yes, she was like a teenage... I believe she was uh, sleeping on an aunt's couch because she was a teenage prostitute, if I remember correctly. Um, drugs were definitely involved. Spoiler, Man. she doesn't make it to the end of that episode. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought we were talking Man. about The Sixth Sense again. 
That's hey, what I uh... meant. I was like, man, M. Night Shyamalan really in touch with uh, the the sex worker industry. I don't have much to say about Lubega, but I do think it's just like crazy how in this time in American pop culture, we were like, please just give us like any other kind of music. We were like Latin pop, <laughs> mambo, stop, give us something, please. Big band, jazz, swing. Like I was like, what is happening? Yeah, Lubega <laughs> definitely saw Big Bad Voodoo Daddy and thought my time has come. Yeah, it was. It's bizarre. We were like, please just give us a radically different kind of music for no reason. <laughs> like, completely. Like, let's take a wild left swing. Like, let's not evolve the music we have. Let's just like do something completely nuts. It's like all of a sudden being like, quick, there's a polka surge happening in the charts. Oh well, that's weird, Al. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know, man. Like, like what were the four previous Mambo tracks? Like. <laughs> They must not be spoken. Mambo out. number one. Really? Oh, no. <laughs> we just weren't ready for them. Yeah. No. He's releasing them like prequels. <laughs> like, this is how he met, uh, what's her face, with the trumpets? Or I, I thought Mambo, Monica? I thought Mambo was more like Weapon X, so we got up to five, and that's when the adamantium took to the bones. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, um, also this week or, or like the week after the Tony Hawk, the first Tony Hawk pro skater came out. And I think, I think everyone could say male, female, any gender identity, any sexuality, those Tony Hawk games slapped like fuck. Yes. Like they were so fucking good. I don't care. I don't give anything about skater culture or any, I, I, I only like the sneakers and some of the bands, but, uh, I fucking loved these video games. They just remastered Tony Hawk 1 and 2 for the PlayStation 4, and I'm, I'm thinking of buying it, like, every day. Oh, that's absolutely going to be my um, Thanksgiving weekend planned. Like, that's going to be all of, like, that four days of just, like, truly being a, like, uh, hot skateboarder. <laughs> and did you design your own skater, much like you designed your own wrestler in those you... games, Bobby? Yeah, I did, but obviously it was not nearly as satisfying because you didn't have, like, the depth of customization the way that I'm literally scanning my tattoos and my actual face <laughs> onto into the computer, into the mainframe when I play to the 2K game. Also, also, there are no skaters called Bobby the Bod, so it felt a little weird. There are now. I do have a pair of rollerblades. <laughs> yeah, I've seen you've been, uh, you've been taking those out a little bit, huh? Yeah. Hit the streets with these. The, I learned how to use my heel brake. I'm real proud of myself. I'm glad you know. I'm glad it work. I'm glad you're moving around more. I, I could do a. I could go down an incline without having to turn sharply into a wall to stop. <laughs> so <laughs> I do feel it's an important first step. I never got past that step in my role. I, I used to ask for things assuming that I would be immediately be good at them, like rollerblades. And when I wasn't, then they immediately got pushed to the side. Well, if you do want to embark on adult rule bleeding, I cannot recommend strongly enough getting super stoned and watching about an hour and a half of YouTube videos from this Canadian uh, long-haired roller skate shop owner uh, as he, like, very politely and soothingly tells you uh, how to rollerblade. (laughs) I, like, watched him for, like, it was so, it was honestly, he seems really nice (laughs) and gave good tips. Well, I'm icing down my knees as we speak from some really intense walking yesterday, so I don't know if uh, if rollerblading is in the cards for me. Oh, these old bones. Uh, I like, by the way, I'm just trying to imagine, like, Aaron's, uh, all the different hobbies that Aaron pushed aside. 
like like yachting, <laughs> yachting, cockfighting, uh, probably like I mean, I something mean, involving accordions. Me pushing like cockfighting to the side is just me getting a chicken. <laughs> right, you're like you got the chicken. You're like ah, I can't do this. <laughs> I mean, the chicken I would, just like walks off not. and pecks somewhere. <laughs> I would really hope not. Listen, you never know until you're in the ring. That's the thing. Like it's like when the adrenaline hits and everyone's like throwing their bets out. You never know. Speaking of ring, <laughs> welcome to another oh, yeah. episode of Hell of a Cell Phone, the podcast where we attempt Fuck. to make sense of the Attitude Era of WWE twenty years later. I'm your host, Aaron Benoit. Joined as always by our wrestling historian, Bobby Hankinson. Hello, hello. And experiencing this all for the first time, Eric Silver. Happy to be on the podcast that Aaron thought he would be immediately good at and then set to the side. <laughs> no, it's because he was immediately good at it, and that's why he keeps going. <laughs> that's the only yeah. oh, we, found, we found the one thing. <laughs> I figured it out right away, you guys. Yeah. Uh, we are headed to Minneapolis, Minnesota for the SummerSlam pay-per-view featuring, heavily featuring, former governor Jesse the Body Ventura. Uh, a note. I don't believe he's the former governor. He is the current governor. And not only current, but not even like the end of his like lame duck term as governor, but fresh-ass governor. No. The beginning of his lame duck term as governor. <laughs> yes, he Wait. served from 99 to like 2003 or something. So he's not the former governor. Oh he's my, the current-ass governor. I uh, I need to apologize for lying in the, uh, in the intro. Um... Jesus. Okay. I mean, I guess he's the governor of Minnesota. Like, it's not <laughs> like, like, what does he, he need to be doing? Like, managing the cheese census or something? I mean, it depends on the year you're talking about. Right now, it's probably pretty important. Look, you guys, there's a very complex situation with the Kurds. <laughs> there's a Kurd emergency. Oh, wow. <laughs> We're at war with the Kurds? No. The Kurds, there's a shortage of Kurds. He is the first and only candidate of the Reform Party to win a major government office. Is apparently according to Wikipedia. What are? Yeah. Oh, right. I forgot he ran with the Reform Party. What were they reforming? Uh, also, police you... activity. No. If you look at a picture of him from 2016 in his Wikipedia, he looks like someone that uh, Dan Anchor would be playing in Nothing But Trouble. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> <Ha. laughs> uh. So, what are that. what are his politics? The only crazy, thing I rem- crazy. The only crazy thing fans. I remember from him was he wanted to legalize weed, and that was like the only thing that that made it. Okay. No, I think he's like libertarian-ish. No, no, no. He's like um, I feel like he's like uh, in the orbit of Alex Jones, like uh, t- talk radio. He's like he's a literal conspiracy theorist. Uh, I, I, no, no, he is, but he also, like, he wants, like, you know, freedoms for people, but he also is, like, conservative-ish. In that Rand paul kind right? of way. Right, like, he, I think he's probably, like, I'm pretty sure he was, like, pro-gay marriage and, and other stuff like that. Like, things that actually were not bad takes, uh, but then also, you know, yeah, he's also, like, big into Area 51 and all that shit. Yeah. So the intro... This is... No, oh, go sorry, ahead, Eric. No, you go ahead, Eric. I was gonna say this. This is why the Reform Party only had one candidate to take a major executive office because <laughs> they we don't know what their fucking uh, policies were. 
and it wasn't going to be Mike Tyson, Vince McMahon, or Shane McMahon as the uh, the parade of former special Governors. enforcers. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? I'm so happy that they're telling us the illustrious history of the special guest referee. Also, let's this... all not pretend like we're not just like weeks away from Vince McMahon, Jim McMahon, and Mike Tyson becoming governors. <laughs> <laughs> I was just thinking the exact same thing. Um, I really, really hate how much time is spent on Jesse Ventura being the special guest referee of this. Um, as it adds absolutely nothing to the story and not I enough mean, has I, been I, I, yeah. established in in the meantime talking about jesse ventura to war or to, to warrant any of this well i mean this is just a this is a, a mainstream media grab you know mm-hmm. it's it's yeah he is yeah. newly elected so he is uh like this big figure in the news is like pop culture footnote uh, and so I think that they're capitalizing on that. They have the relationship. They have a very complicated and and, and uh, strained relationship historically. Jesse Ventura was a commentator. That's he became. He came in as a wrestler and became more famous as a commentator uh, for WWF, uh, and left and sued the company for what because he didn't get royalties on some video stuff, uh, and it was like a very bad. He like publicly sued the company. He also was trying to unionize the wrestlers, and he has a lot of bad blood with Hulk Hogan, because uh, Hulk Hogan uh, was scab, and like what it was like, ah, nah, brother, I'm not gonna unionize. And basically, without Hulk Hogan, there was just, like no chance of it coming together. Mm-hmm. So Jesse Ventura had a like, hated uh, Hulk Hogan. He also thought Eric Bischoff screwed him off. So that's why when this opportunity came around. He wins the governor. Vince gives him a call and is like, "Hey, congrats! Also, you should probably, you know, we should like get together sometime and like do a SummerSlam." And so, uh, Jesse Ventura was like, "Yes," uh, and also it was a way to like, kind of like stick it to Bischoff and Hogan. Yeah, yeah, it definitely, it definitely felt like one of those things where it's like, "Oh, we gotta get," you know, like we got this. It's like when they got Mike Tyson. We're like, "How much did Mike Tyson really factor into?" You know, when he was the special guest referee. Yeah, it was just like. You know, they get to grab some headline. Right. This guy is the most famous guy in Minnesota right now. He's the most famous (laughs) Minnesotan there is in 1999. (laughs) Uh, Brett Favre? No, he was Uh, on the Packers. He was on the Packers at that point. Is he in the Packers in 99? I don't think he was. Oh, yeah. No, what about um, Randy Moss? Yeah. Probably not the most famous. I don't know. Anyway. Um, But with Mike Tyson, the story was... Is he going to factor into this? You know, it, what what is his allegiance going to be? He's shown this these degeneration X allegiance. Is that going to factor into us? Here, Jesse Ventura makes it very very clear that he will not be factoring into, and he will not be uh, taking any of your guff from any of them. Well, as uh, as the saying goes in the promo, uh, or not in the promo, and I guess in the in the intro slash pseudo recap. It's my rules or the highway. Uh, as we, you know, the, the, that really, that good turn of phrase that always gets uh, touted a lot. And then well, the you, first thing. I was going to say, rules are thicker than highways. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's because of the distance that they have to cover. Uh, and then we go to right off the bat. Triple H just telling Jesse Ventura that he's going to break all the rules. <laughs> That's a terrible thing to say to the ref. Like you should don't get him, don't put him on notice. 
Do also, I, Jesse need... Ventura is wearing like this like long sleeve ref shirt, which looks so weird to me. Oh yeah, because he's got such big arms. You got to show those puppies off. And then we get uh, Chris Jericho's debut on a pay per view, calling Howard Finkel Harold, which was very funny to me. Hmm. I, I, I mean, I just uh, at this point in Jericho's career, I love his sort of like little jokes and stupid names for everyone. I still like I after Stinko Malenko, I'm like still uh, hanging on his every word. Definitely. Hmm. This felt very I mean, it definitely felt like like a skit, you know, like less than a promo, more like a skit, like just like, you know, especially they're starting to um, I'm noticing aesthetically that they're that with Jericho they're starting to do the sort of WWE comedy that that uh continues even to today you know what i mean where it's like these um these little vignettes that take place and they're not really promos they're just like you know some it's like a little bit of like not slapstick because it's not really slapstick but you know what i mean it's like the you know there's like like these lowbrow comedy moments that are that like you still see happening in the in the current product. Do you know? Does that make sense? Yeah, and I think we'll be seeing a lot of those. I mean, The Rock is pretty famous for for just kind of having these these like minute long segments where he'll just uh, make fun of somebody or hold up his his arm like he's going to slap somebody in the face and ask them their name and then tell them it doesn't matter who their name is. So, right, ready to get into the first dumb match. Let's do it. Yeah, okay. sure. So the match started off with uh, D'Lo Brown, who is a, mint, a newly minted double champion, holding both the European and Intercontinental Championship against Jeff Jarrett. The first thing I, was... I learned is that uh, Deborah seems to have the same uh, titty ringmaster with beads outfit in at least 12 colors. I mean, when you well, find something that works, you stick with it. Uh, yeah, she she bought her outfits the way I bought these headbands I needed when my hair got longer, which is in a 10-pack. <laughs> All different colors. I've yet to actually see you wear these headbands you keep talking about. Um, well, you don't go running with me, so... <laughs> oh, I think you need to, to uh, up your Instagram game, and I want to see it in everyday life. Oh, I see. You want me to go full David Foster Wallace. There we go. Um, so the story here, Deborah is fed up with Jeff Jarrett, um, after he's been blaming her for a bunch of losses. Ben Stiller is, like, deeply ingrained in this, uh, this storyline here, as is Mark Henry. Ben Stiller, like, from the Mystery Men promo? From the Mystery Men, yes. Uh, Ben Stiller was, was in the audience again and, and was called to the ring. Jeff Jarrett asked who his favorite WWE superstar was, and he said, there are two of them. It's the puppies. And then Jeff Jarrett started beating him up, and then uh, he gets rescued by D'Lo, and then rests his head in um, Deborah's bosom as she's comforting Jesus him. Christ. Is this, um, is this pre-something about Mary? Ooh, no. No, this is post. Something about oh, Mary was so... 98. Is that right? He couldn't t- don't uh, yeah, like it sounds about right. Yeah. That sounds about right. So he's probably isn't he's probably like already married to um, what's her face, right? Yeah, probably you're the right one, around the one, now. 
Right? The one who was in, like, Clueless, the TV show? Yeah. Maybe. It's called acting. It's okay. <laughs> he can still like, <laughs> no, 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 you're right. He can still appreciate uh, yeah. a woman's puppy. It just, ugh. Everything about it just makes <sighs> me feel horrible. It's just it's the worst thing. Well, it's not the worst thing, because we're going to get to the worst thing later on tonight. Oh, there's all kinds. I, I don't even know which, which thing you're referencing, because there's a lot of options. Uh, but uh, I will say that I think this is the best Deborah has ever looked in terms of like most uh, prepared <laughs> to come out. <laughs> like, most like with it, focus in the moment. I think we've seen her. I think she, in fact, she had a whole scheme. She had a whole plot sheet yeah. she, that was unfolding. Because not sure I fully follow it, but yeah, <laughs> I, you know. Because the other Overly part of the complex, story, sure. The other part of yeah, the story I'm not is... dropping my coffee mug. Let's put it that way. <laughs> The other part of the story what, what is saying um, before fully loaded, um, Ra was in Louisville and Mark Henry went to like a, an old country doctor who told him his blood pressure was too high and D'Lo Brown was trying to get him in shape and making him eat vegetables and making him run. Including one vignette where they're running in the park and Jeff Jarrett hits D'Lo Brown with a car. <laughs> what? Okay. <laughs> Well, truly, I believe you, but I mean, I mean, well, I mean, attempted vehicular homicide is not a, a it's not unheard that of they're going to, uh, going to shy away from. Even there's another one tonight. There's another match tonight where attempted vehicular homicide comes into it. Yes. At least in the backstory. Yep. Look, you know, if they were in New York, uh, it's not even considered attempted vehicular homicide. You can just get away with <laughs> yeah. it. Like it's just it was just an accident. Um, so, okay, let's, do you want to walk through, like, what is going on in this match? Um, basically, Jeff Jarrett is out there with Deborah. um, he gets upset at Deborah and basically sends her, sends her away, right? Yeah. And then D'Lo, and, like, everyone, then, then the whole asshole chant starts uh, in, the, in the crowd because, man, what did Jeff Jarrett do? He sent away the puppies. Mm-hmm. And then D'Lo, uh, you know, D'Lo gets Deborah and basically brings her in to be his, like, corner lady. Yep. Uh, and he, and you know what, on it, like... All of this, you know, like the, the the basic premise of this is shitty, but it's very cool to watch uh, a whole like arena go ape shit over D'Lo and mm-hmm. watching D'Lo like have that strut and the head wag as he's like bringing Deborah back. Uh, it's nice to see you know D'Lo be a face. Question, guys. Um, when, whenever what's that? When, whenever D'Lo comes in and he does his head thing, do you try to do it too and fail every time? No, I I know my my boundaries. I yeah. know my limits. Yeah, that's like trying a moonsault. I also just nope, <laughs> not gonna do it. But I could do the thing where you're like hanging off of the apron and and you're like your your feet are like balancing on the rope. You know, I I feel like I I, I do have enough core strength to do it for a little bit. Someone get us a ring. I'm sticking to it. That's an old yeah. It's an old callback. Okay, so then. Then they're wrestling, and uh, Deborah gets involved at some point. Is that right? Um. So yeah, 
at some point, Deborah subtracts the referee, and Jeff Jarrett acts like he's going to hit her with his guitar. And then, while all the shenanigans are happening, uh, Mark Henry runs down and hits him. And Well, Mark Henry runs down and somehow gets the guitar from Jeff Jarrett. And it looks like he's going to hit he looks... Jarrett. Right. And then he hits D'Lo. Yes. And it's a big heel turn for Mark Henry, who's already big. Yeah. The world's strongest heel turn. <laughs> uh, yeah. Does Mark Henry ever wear wrestling clothes? I, you know, <laughs> unknown. <laughs> it's like, you know, he's he he should know that he's on the that he's on the booking, but uh, for some reason he's always coming with in his street clothes. This is oh, and and but not always for long because in a match with all of these shenanigans, the weirdest part for it for me was after Mark Henry hits Dilo with the guitar, he unbuttons his shirt for some reason, as if to like <laughs> as if he's like like showing his dominance, like he's bearing his chest to him or something. Yeah. Yeah, like, he got the order wrong. You're supposed to take your shirt off and then go wrestle. Well, also, like, it doesn't no, help. take your shirt sh- off, get wet, and then wrestle. It, right, right. It doesn't help that this shirt feels particularly blousey. And, like, it takes a very long time. It has very tiny, delicate buttons that takes him a very long time to get unbuttoned. <laughs> which, like, it does, like, he doesn't, like, rip it open. Like, Rah! it's more like a very, like, oh, yeah, that's right. I'm going to get, oh, just give me a second. Almost there. Oh, halfway. Like, it's like he d- takes a very long time to get it open. And then it's very sort of, like, flowy and delicate. Listen, after after recent events, they're not cutting any corners with safety. They're gonna he's gonna make sure he very carefully unbuttons every button. We're not going for like the quick release on a shirt. And as, no, I, mean, as I far guess as, that killed the mood. <laughs> as, as far as the match itself goes, I mean the Dilo obviously hit some amazing offense that um that frog splash that turned into like a swanton almost. It was really cool to watch. Yeah. But just so overbooked and overshadowed by everything else that's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the first the first thing I wrote was, this is a fun start, but then it kind of, you know, degraded. Yeah, I think Jared can always be dependent on to go, and I think Dilo's an exciting performer. So it was a fine match ring-wise until the end, and then the end was like a whole bunch of shenanigans. Yep. Well, that's weird in this era to have these this many shenanigans. We ready yeah. to go on to the next match? Oh, am I? Yeah. Oh my god, what a fucking wild ride this one was. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. I I did not remember the outcome of this match at all, and I was on the edge of my seat like the whole fucking time. So this is the tag team turmoil, starting with um the new brood, as I guess was announced on Heat that they're going by that, but Matt and Jeff Hardy have allied with Gangrel against Christian and Edge. It was weird hearing uh, Christian's name first in the pairing of them. Yeah. Um, makes sense, right? Because they were, uh, the Hardy Boys already were, had that emo vibe. So, yeah, you know, steer into it. Yeah, the, the road from emo to vampire is not a long one. They both go intersect at the same hot topic. Christian's line in the promo beforehand where he said, the blood they spew will be their own, probably sounded really good in his head. Like, yeah. I mean, I would hope so. I well, no, so. because ga- who's, who's viscous liquid is Gangrel spewing? <laughs> That's the question. <laughs> hmm. 
Man, um, I know. God, we're just at the very, very start between the feud between these two teams. And it's already feels like it's at a 10, but it's going to go so much higher from here. I mean, Eric, watch every single step of like anything with any of these with with these four guys coming forward. Um, and I will also say the Dudley boys have at this point have a verbal agreement with WWEF and should be coming uh, right around this pay-per-view. Also, the you next... know who's backstage at this pay-per-view? Brock Lesnar being courted and scouted and uh, lined and dined. Oh, they're oh in, shit. Because uh, they're in Minneapolis or whatever where he's from. So he's, he's looking around. They took him backstage. Uh, but Edge, Christian, and the Hardys, like the tag team, they're building the tag team division right now. And they're built. You're, you're watching the build of one of the greatest tag team divisions ever of all time. Incomparable history making things you've seen in clip show packages for years this, are about to start happening. Well, I mean, yeah, like they got Midian and Viscera and Draws <laughs> and Prince Albert, like all stars, all the fades, Hardcore Holly. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's <laughs> they're and, all out tonight, and it's insane that these these four dudes who ha- have gone on to amazing, impressive singles careers at the same times all started as the minions of a don't say vampire. <laughs> yeah. You want to go over some of the spots from uh, from the first part with uh, Edge and Christian and the Hardy Boys? Oh my! I mean, I just want to talk about the the one spot that's amazing, like the the whole sequence on the outside. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are tearing it up. You're seeing like Edge and Christian do like their own version of poetry in motion, where Christian's on all fours and Edge leaps over him, or other way around. I'm sorry, Edge on all fours, Christian runs and leaps over him with a forearm. But then the Hardys do their signature poetry in motion. They're flying all over the place. They're this whole match is so fucking good. Jeff hits a swanton bomb early, uh, but the best sequence has got to be you've got uh, Christian and Jeff Hardy on the far side of the ring. You've got Edge and Matt Hardy on the hard camera side of the ring. And simultaneously, in perfect unison, both sets of opponents do an Irish whip uh, towards the barrier. Uh, Jeff and Edge flying towards the barrier, both leap onto opposite barriers in perfect real parallel time, run, meeting in the middle at the ramp where they leap at each other and Edge catches him with a spear. I mean, you guys. And then it doesn't even stop for one hot second there because at that point then, Gangrel's getting involved, Christian's doing springboard planches, then uh, uh, Matt's doing a moonsault into the outside. Like, it, it, it... unbelievable i mean like we've been watching how many years of this now for for just from where we started and like come on there's like few things we've seen like that in all this time yeah this match was directed by john woo yeah (laughs) it was just awesome 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 stuff yeah and then they give them a ton of time and then christian pins matt and so i'm very very sad that this part is done and then i'm very very angry now that it's midian and viscera coming down to the ring and I'm angry for a while because I feel like um, what they're they're angling for here is that Christian and, and Edge, who have fought so hard, are are, are are gassed at this point, and they're going to lose to these two fucking jabrones, uh, especially when Midian hits like that 500 pounds on them, and um, and only gets the, the two count. I'm like, oh shit, these guys are actually going to uh, going to keep this run going, and how far are they going to go with this? Are they vastly overselling how much these guys weigh? They have to be, right? Only I'm gonna. I should probably have checked this before. I just like wondered aloud. But uh, how much which guys weigh? Both of them together. I was like, that seems like a lot to weigh. 
I don't think. Wait, no, which guys? Like, but, like uh, Midian, Edge and Christian? No, no, Midian and Viscera, both of them. They're big. Okay. But as big as they're saying? I mean, like, I don't think so, right? Nobody did. Did check anybody else's odd? I honestly, I'm still, I was like caught for a long time on the fact that I think JR said that Edge and Christian were brothers. And I was like, what the fuck? What do you mean they're brothers? They're not brothers. Yeah, that's the story that's been going since, uh, since Christian first showed up. Really? Is that their brothers? They're brothers, yeah. Fuck, man. But they, (laughs) they do consider themselves like road brothers. No, and this. (laughs) Sorry, sorry. <laughs> it's fine. Uh bless you. Um in in 2020 time, are they still brothers? No. I think I, and that's why I think it's sort of like Kane and the Undertaker are brothers, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. They had a case of brotherhood and then, you know, <laughs> it cleared up. And they got better. And then we had Draws and Albert come out and and it was like, "Oh man, they're going to keep this going, aren't they?" Draws wearing aluminum and mesh. And Albert looks like yeah, he's he... the Zipper King. Uh, so uh, I had that Draws looked like a go-go dancer at a gay bar. <laughs> he definitely was from Splash. Actually, that literally looks like an outfit from the intro to Queer as Folk. If you look up the uh, <laughs> opening credits to Queer as Folk on Showtime, you'd see absolutely literally Draws' his outfit. Um, and, I, and this was actually my first appearance of Prince Albert. Um... He, to me, he looked like a giant penis and his back hair looked like pubes. Like, he's bald. He may have had some sort of piercings. So, like, he looked like a penis head. And then his he had so much back hair that I was like, okay, I, I sort of see it. It's like a chode. I think we need a... I, I think we need a name for the Harry Boys, like uh, Miguel Perez and Killian Dane, the guys who just like are just letting all the back hair out. Lar- is Lars Sullivan in that group? I can't remember now. I try not to look at him. No, don't don't bother. I, well, I mean, if you want to look up one thing, I'm sure that might, that you have already. But Oof. yeah, I don't know. I don't know what you would call them. Like I don't know, sweater boys. Like <laughs> sweater that. boys. Sweater like boys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so albert number one sweater boy right now and again edge and christian go through them and keep the streak going until the acolytes attack out of nowhere and i have to say i laughed so fucking hard when the king said go ahead and tell us about bradshaw Fruk's football careers to jr <laughs> <laughs> And I think um, the reason that I liked it so much is because Edge and Christian had built up all of this momentum and then were just getting pummeled by the Acolytes there for a minute. And the two of their Bert and Ernie energy really carried it through the faces um, The faces getting a beat down. I mean, it, you know, it, it's, a, it's a nice, easy way to not have, you know, Edge and Christian win, but also have them you know not lose anything by losing yeah and this was star making for them sorry go ahead no you go ahead oh no i was gonna say i'm like this was definitely a star making performance for edge and christian i think oh definitely were were they were they like were they like a a big like draw at this point or is this like something where it was like 
people weren't sure what to think of them and then it, and this like really this is the start of something. No, this we, is the start of something i think we didn't know what we had okay and then so the 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 match is going on at this incredible clip and then all of a sudden it just all falls apart when the holly cousins did they like come out before their cue or what it seemed like it. It. I. I don't know specifically like what happened production wise, but there they were. <laughs> uh, I don't know if it was a matter of they were just supposed to not be caught on camera. You know, because the acolytes made their very like quick entrance. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if it was a matter of maybe it was a production just like had the wrong camera. We weren't supposed to see them at home making their way out. Mm-hmm. Uh, but either way, it definitely was awkward. Though, man, I love Crash Holly. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, this is who is Crash Holly. He was this wrestler. He wrest, you know, he's always been like on the indies or whatever. And he had a character before this. He would play as a leprechaun. Uh, and then basically one day, th- th- someone was like, "Hey, you look just you look enough like Bob Holly. We should make you." And Crash Holly was just like born very uh, like. Someone was like, "Hey, you you kind of like uh, Beaver Cleavage. Just like, hey, you look like this. Do that." <laughs> so they wow. bleach his hair, and that's it. But Crash Holly has there's gonna be uh, there's some we're gonna spend some time with him, and it's great. I love Crash but- Holly. There is, I, I can think of one other example, but I really love the uh, the attitude era trope of the small weird version of the wrestler. <laughs> yeah, there's always lots of like yeah, imposters they... and things like that, and like uh, like you know blue meanie kind of stuff and whatever. There's like always that sort of like a uh, imitation stalker angle. But also there, so the the. They introduce him on Raw. They're like, this is my cousin, Crash Holly. And then they immediately just start fighting. And then it cuts away. And the next thing we know, the two of them are still fighting outside on top of a semi. <laughs> so they're a team, but they hate, they, they like literally hate each other and their family, but they literally hate each other. They're like um, the brothers from the Black Crows. Like they just, you know, they, they, they have to work together, but they actually kind of hate each other or, all the time. Or Oasis. Or Oasis, yeah. Yeah, but every now and then they come up with Don't... a Wonder Wall. Well, it was not and this then tag they match. fight on it. <laughs> this tag match was not their Wonder Wall, that's for sure. No. No, no, no. No, no this 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 ending sucked. This wasn't even their Don't Look Back in Anger. But it was. <laughs> wow. Uh yeah, Acolytes win because of uh they get distracted fighting each other. And then Farouk does the uh the super macho man peck flex at the end. Oh yeah. Then we go backstage where Big Show and Undertaker has made their their way in. Undertaker seems to have given up his shirt so that uh, Big Show can have a shirt. And then we get our first look at Al's new friend, Pepper, who we're going to be going into uh, a lot more detail in very soon. And then Road Dog makes his way out, just dressed as 1999. Jesus. Was he like... Which way to the uh, Boys to Men I'll Make Love to You video set? Is it is it this way? That way, the all for one video is that this way or white white Tommy Hilfiger, yellow lensed Bono glasses, and chains on chains on chains. God, don't forget his whole face and head and hair. <laughs> yeah, just, <laughs> just his whole body. His whole body was just dipped in 1999. <laughs> he looks like he look. I I kind of thought he looked like he just came from like touring around Disney World. Like he had a, a a fanny pack on. He was like wearing all white because it's Florida, so you want to stay like cool. <laughs> yeah, I love what I, an impact we think that has. Everyone's like, oh yeah, we well, have to wear all white to reflect the sunlight. You'll stay easily. 
one, <laughs> one half to three quarters of a degree cooler if you're in the shade. Like, it's like, what? <laughs> also, now I really want to see pictures of Eric at Disney World. That's how I dress, man. I get my, I, I get the cornrows. Uh, do you also I get spell the, everything out. Do you get the tribal band tattooed in the back of your head, too? Yep. What? <laughs> what was the point of the yellow tinted sunglasses? I, I don't want to make. You mean in life? Yeah. Well, yeah. I don't want to make a. I, I don't want to to shield myself from the sun. I just want to make everything yellow. I feel like my yeah. They my dad had a pair of glasses like that, but they <laughs> not like that. But they did have like a yellow lens, and he was like, he said they would like block a certain kind of light. I think it was like one of those like made for TV kind of claims <laughs> that like these amber ah. lenses block certain kinds of light and therefore protect your eyes better or something. I swear there it, there was. I don't know if that applies to road dogs choices, but I know what you're talking about, and I think my mom might have bought those too. See, um, okay, but but the yellow, the actual truly yellow tinted sunglasses, I always thought that was kind of like an ecstasy thing. Like I remember, I I had a pair of those sunglasses when I like went to like love parade in Berlin and we were like, we're going to stay up all night and like, and how much, you know, wear crazy stuff. And what level of depth hair gel were you using with them? Or did you wear, or, <laughs> or did you just keep the furry bucket hat that came with them? <laughs> Man, I would, uh, yeah. I would use LA looks hair gel to the point where you could, if you held a piece of hair, you could break it in half. Oh yeah. Ugh. Oh yeah. I, I couldn't use hair gel. I hated it. I was a I've depth always. seven. Depth seven. It was like champagne colored. It was actually kind of the color of Road Dog's lenses. Uh and it definitely um shellacked my head and, and to the point that it would like break off in huge pieces of gel. It was horrible. I don't understand what anyone was doing, uh, or why we would do this to ourselves. Well, luckily Jericho is here to save us from uh from the road dog. Some good, uh, some good witticisms from Jericho. Raw, raw is snore. <laughs> I like summer sham. Uh, summer sham. Yeah. Summer sham is good. And it's uh, uh and, and and it's interesting watching the audience kind of like choose their allegiance and choosing the road dog between the two of them. Oof. Yeah. Yeah, um, I also, oh, man, you know, there's a way that Jericho says that things suck. That's, like, very a very interesting intonation. Yes. Like, it's just like, this sucks? Yeah, I liked it. I thought it was effective. Cause it's like, I love it. But, like, he does things like that really, truly on purpose. Like, the way he says, like, again. Like, he does that to be obnoxious. Like, so he, like, knows what he's right. doing with this stuff. I just feel like I don't understand. And even when I watched this as a child, I remember watching it being like, I don't believe that Road Dog is cool. So, like, <laughs> yeah. like I'll believe yeah. The Undertaker is magic and the brood might be actual vampires, truly something I considered. But I can't even <laughs> for a moment entertain the notion that maybe in reality, Road Dog is somehow cool. Nothing, not a single thing about him reads cool. Uh, the only thing that's cool about him is like, you know, his, most of the time his work on the mic, the, he was, I mean, man, Jericho, Jericho really showed, uh, the road dog seams though. Like basically we get like a, a, 
shitty gay panic joke from Road Dog. Uh, yeah, it's it, in the presence of Jericho. Road Dog, yeah, just starts to seem like a real amateur. Yeah, when Jericho and, says amateur, when Jericho says all you could do is spell things out, Road Dog was probably thinking, "Man, don't don't like uh, blow up my spot, man. That literally all I have." <laughs> And I'm sorry, n- it, nothing takes the power out of a crotch shop like a flapping fanny pack, okay? Like, <laughs> nothing is less, like, in today's way to say suck your dick than having a fanny pack flapping about, all right? All right. I. It's so funny, Bobby. I know the words that you were saying, but you sounded, you definitely sounded like you were talking about Canadians in <laughs> South Park. With their flapping, uh... <laughs> They're, they're flapping fanny packs and their weird crop chop hair. Um, I will. Here's one thing I will say about Jericho. This is my this is my one like uh, criticism of the Jericho promos that I'm seeing, and I I've seen it now twice. Uh, it's a little bit like how the Undertaker is is like sometimes he's just unstoppable and a phenom and sometimes he can just be like beat down and that's it. Uh it's similar to that but with Jericho and and words. So like Jericho is extremely like is such an asshole and he's so brazen and he's like he's so clever and quick-witted and like I, I, I'm sure this is a choice he makes, or I don't know. But like to me, it's such a weird thing for him to just like go off on on Road Dog, and then when Road Dog says something back, immediately the reaction from Chris Jericho is what? No, no. what am I gonna do? Like it's such a. It, I I don't know if he's like trying to make it like I'm I'm an all like I'm all puff. And all bluster, and the first time that anybody stands up to me, I get flustered. But like, it it seems a little incongruous with like how good he is at at po- at like you know putting people down. That like he is so fragile to the the the, the, the to anything that anybody says back to him. Do you know what I mean? Yes, actually, that's a that is a, a very astute observation and one that like Jericho was actually. Uh, aware of like he wrote and I started reading his second book so I can like keep up in real time uh, huh. and he also felt the same way that he was overselling his reactions in the rock promo and in this one to a bit where he wasn't he was losing credibility and coming off more as a crybaby and less like sort of the uh, cocky heel and more of just sort of like a little coward uh, and so this was he was also thing he he's learning that lesson in real time. So I think you are correct in your observation, and uh, okay. I think he's going to be. We should let's we'll all watch it sort of evolve in real time over the next few weeks. Yeah, I'm excited for him to get to the stupid idiot phase. I think there's a long time before that, isn't it? Yes, but I think uh, one of my favorite part about all of this was when Rodog said he has no computer. <laughs> As a burden, <laughs> yeah. as a burden to Jericho, he's like, I don't care about Y two K because I don't have a computer. And it was like, wait, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Do you have a credit card? Do you have anything that's involved? Are you on the, are you on the the grid? Uh, but wait, Road Dog, how I... are we talking to you at the AOL chat room if you don't have a computer? <laughs> in 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 1999, do these wrestlers need to own a computer? 
No. No, because the laptops are like are basically the size of two suitcases. Yeah. So no, they, they can't carry that shit around. But they're gonna hit every business center and every La Quinta that they <laughs> cross. <laughs> well, no, the problem is they, they always need a printer for the giant contracts they need to sign. <laughs> Everything's in size 145 point font. Right. They're like, do you have a dot matrix printer? I need to pr- I need to print out a banner size contract. <laughs> Wait, is Greeting Workshops up to date on this? Okay. <laughs> we go to the hardcore match next. Uh, Pepper is going to wait backstage, and before Boss Man makes it out, Al Snow is already climbing shit. Well, I love before we get to any of the action. I loved it. Maybe it was probably the promo earlier. But I love like Al Snow's like little line that uh, that nobody's gonna appreciate where he says like uh, you know because you know Boss Man threatened him as little dog too and he's mm-hmm. like I know I know you don't have to he's like no it's not like a sign of the apocalypse or whatever that he's quoting Judy Garland if he starts belting like Ethel Merman though then we have to worry I was like what a great little joke Al Snow that like no <laughs> yeah. one like what a, what a very like a specific little joke to make right he's a friend of Judy yeah it was a fun little uh... what a fun little thing I was like thank you for that Al Snow. I didn't realize Al Snow has a dog now. That was a new thing for me. Al Snow's like the collector. <laughs> like you feel like a, <laughs> his gimmick is like, what trash oh, no. did I pick up on the street this week? Oh no, he's got a Howard the Duck somewhere. Yeah, he's basically a freegan. Like he just he's just like dumpster diving all around. <laughs> he's just Shylin Woodley. That's his gimmick. Okay. Wait, is she a dumpster diver? That was wasn't that like a whole thing. I feel like that was a whole internet thing that she like talked about it on like a late night talk show once about being like a, a freegan. <laughs> either that, huh. either that, or Nathan and I have said it back and forth to each other so many times it's become headcanon. <laughs> so I, I like this hardcore match. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like some of it. I I, re- yeah, I mean, it's Al Snow climbing up on the uh, the the camera rigging to start it off, and that was like a real trust fall that he did, diving headfirst into Big Boss Man on the entrance ramp. Yeah, that was fun. Yeah, I- that's a. I mean, also it's like something that you don't see, where it's like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna come out and I'm gonna like sneak attack somebody, like you know. It's all right there. It's great. Like, it's great that somebody's using it. Um, I thought it was kind of funny that there's a guy just walking by backstage on crutches. But that was so (laughs) funny, though, the way that they – like, yes, it was obvious or whatever, but I loved that they went back for the other crutch later, and I loved – Oh, yeah. And it was the perfect amount of time from when they took the first crutch to do the callback. You know what I mean? Like, yes. I, if it was I in the want... same scene, like if it was Al Snow took it and then Boss Man took it, like right in the same scene, I don't think it'd have the same impact. But going back to it was so fucking satisfying. I loved it. I wanted yes. like some more plants backstage. Like you'd, you'd run into an organ grinder and he'd steal his accordion, or all of a sudden <laughs> it'd be like fish for sale, fish for sale, and he grabs a big <laughs> trout and hits him across the face. I mean, what they need is they need two guys uh, trying to get a big pane of glass across <laughs> the road. <laughs> And they keep lifting it every time Boss Man goes under. And then at some point, you know, Al Snow just dives headfirst through it. Well, you were talking about Tony Hawk before. And that reminded me, like, these matches reminded me of just, like, how often, like, being out of the arena. And not just, like, out of the arena in the back, the same, like, three backstage areas. But, like, truly in the street, in a restaurant, in a bar. And I remember the video game at the time, which I don't think were – they were definitely the pre-2K 
like naming nomenclature. I think it was even before the SmackDown versus Raw because there was no SmackDown. So right. I, I forget even what the video game was where, but like you were able to leave the arena, go to the Times Square restaurant fight. Then you were able to fight in Times Square in the game. You'd be fighting in the street. You'd be jumping off of the marquee and then a helicopter would go by and you would climb a rope ladder and you'd be able to jump from the helicopter onto your opponent in the street. And that all felt like wildly uh, appropriate for this universe. And that's how exciting things were at the time. And yeah. <laughs> even though this is like garbage wrestling, like you can't deny telling a 13 year old that that doesn't sound fucking fun as shit <laughs> like that like these matches were on the pool table on the bat the moonsault off the bar i was like this feels like a fucking video game and it is so rigid it feels like i'm playing like a street fighter oh i i wrote i wrote this feels like grand theft auto if it, it was like you know like where everything is a part of gameplay you know like you can uh open world wrestling you can just like it's open world wrestling, exactly. Like, imagine you were playing, like, a, like, I don't know, a fucking Madden video game. A game I have never played. A book I've never read. Uh, and then, in the middle of playing Madden, you could just, like, walk off the field and into the parking lot and start, <laughs> like, tossing the picture with, like, a fan who's tailgating. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, you can, like, go to the Dunkin' Donuts across the street and take pictures with fans. Like, that's what it feels like. You'd, it's Why don't they do TV. this? You can fucking tackle somebody <laughs> through, like, a Dunkin' Donuts window. I don't know, but, like, that's... It just seems insane. You give like, a post-game interview. Yeah, like, fun But in, stuff. in this world, you could do that. You could all of a sudden be, like, fighting outside and do a five-star fog splash from a helicopter in Times Square. That's fucking fun! Speaking of Tony Hawk. Um, by the way, did they gimmick a Pepsi machine? Or was that just, like... You know, like, did they replace the glass in the Pepsi machine with, like... Uh, sugar glass? Sugar glass or what? I wasn't sure because nobody actually made contact with the glass. If you yeah. saw, like it, it they, uh, it was like the canister that got thrown through it, and then it got toppled over. But nobody got thrown onto the glass, and nobody went through the glass. So it might have been real glass. I think it was just real ass glass. That's funny because, like you know, obviously in like in television and movies, doesn't even matter, right? Like if if it doesn't matter if anybody's close to it, they are going to use sugar glass every single time. But in wrestling, they're like, well, like he's going to be five inches away. We can we can just go ahead and, and use real glass. And that's what Jesse Ventura was fighting for. <laughs> did they, right. did you think they like showed up to the arenas and were like, so do you have any like machinery that's on its way out that we could just uh, t- take off your hands? Not- that's something I've wondered. I'm going to have to dig into it more because I haven't, like, done the research to even try to figure that part out. But I have also been curious about, like, because even when you see the ones, you know, we talked about where they're, like, you know, using the popcorn stand and whatever. Or, mm-hmm. like, all the, the outdoor furniture they were using over there in this one. Mm-hmm. Like, was that yeah. was that theirs? Did, like, they go to Home Depot and buy a bunch to put out there for the, for the sole um, purpose of breaking it? I don't know. Well, uh, well, also, do, do they have a location scout who's like, let me go and see what the nearby uh, bar, you know, bar and restaurants are like yes. and, and just like what, what kind of size is we're working with here? Because that was a huge bar. Yes, absolutely. And what's it, like that's what I kind of find really interesting about WWE. We talk about sometimes I'm going to go ahead and talk about this. But we talk about sometimes about like, oh, would you ever work there or like see a job opening for a story writer or whatever? Like you think of the things that make this place so weird is that of course they have to do that like live television production like you can't just wing it but in so many ways they do just wing it like they're just a bunch of old wrestling promoters <laughs> and who are just like they have to do all that but it's like jim ross is doing it or whatever you know what i mean like they're like the yeah. 
like there is a sort of like carny way of going about all of it but yeah of course it still has to be like scouted and 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 i'm sure all kinds of like legal shit and whatever and like uh all kinds of stuff that has to still be done but it's like they're like figuring out like these weird little renegade outlaws like everything is sort of like guerrilla style it still has to be well you know it kind of it's like a, it's like the punk DIY aesthetic, right? Yeah. You know, something that, that we've, we've all shot things, right? And uh, you know what you have to do. You just kind of like, you're like, okay, anything to make it work because I don't have money to spend on this shit. And also, I'm not going to hire a professional. I can just do this. Yeah. So then the, the WWE lives, and this is what's so, and it's very interesting to think about sort of like culturally and structurally and all those things. So it lives in the space between very serious Hollywood production that obviously has all of the, the access and the, the materials and the money, the finances to like do these big productions and projects and put on this huge spectacular thing. But it's also this weird, like carny fly by night, uh, program that like is sort of being like, uh, run through like an old family with like actual, like sacks full of golden coins kind of thing. You know what I mean? Like you're watching it like a, like an old cartoon. Like they're at the end of like the, the circus train counting actual golden coins. Like it's very, <laughs> it's very weird. Cause it's kind of both. It's this very like legit thing. And also this like super weird, uh, not real thing. <laughs> So yeah, I'm curious to see like fucking literally like Stephanie, like Shane, Shane McMahon walk into a bar and be like, oh, what's the capacity of this place? And has the fire marshal been around lately? And like, but like, yeah, that's what's <laughs> happening. Fucking, I'm sure like <laughs> Pete Gas, I'm sure is like uh, taking, you know, fucking like light tests. There was definitely like one guy who they did not plan for, who was just in front of the camera oh, when they first got in. And then you saw the fucking like security guy with the Kangle, like uh, push him back up into the corner when they got inside. Oh, I was I was more I was most mesmerized by that part uh, in that, you know, during that part of the match. Like I was like, nope, I, I get out of the way. I'll snow. <laughs> I want to see this guy. Oh, you weren't just in, getting you, manhandled. You weren't enraptured by the uh, world famous Yellow Pages spot. <laughs> <laughs> so in the end, uh, Al Snow Pins a big boss man is the hardcore champion makes his way back to the ring where we see Stevie Richards and the blue meanie. And that's when uh, he grabs the other crutch from the guy and starts beating the shit out of them. My, uh, my name for the, for Stevie Richards and the blue meanie is the crop top squad. (laughs) I love a crop top. Stevie Richards has my summer aesthetic. (laughs) Jean short cutoffs and a crop top. And then we go backstage where the body wants to talk to Mick Foley. Something about the center of a ring. Something about a ble- bleeding heart liberal. Yeah, something about Geraldine then, uh, Ferraro. Geraldine Ferraro. <laughs> I don't even remember who that was. First first ve- uh, female vice presidential candidate. Oh. I don't know what she was. Like she, I think she must have been a governor. I don't know. I think, was it, I think she was like... Was she Dukakis's uh, running uh, running mate? Literally couldn't tell you. And Bobby's our wrestling historian, not our his- history historian. So yeah, honestly, what do you think this is? I'm a doctor, damn it, not a. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
Walter Mondale. That's, she was the vice president for uh, a candidate for, against with Walter Mondale. That's oh no, said. not for Mondale. For Mondale oh, boy. Yeah, 1984. She was a congresswoman. And the and reason we that go. we're we're still talking about things like that is because otherwise we would have to talk about Ivory versus Tory. Oh my god! Oh my god! Why was it? I mean this was very bad. And both of these well, women, here's it. These women are tra- these are, these are real wrestlers. Like these two are yes. real wrestlers. They are not. These are not uh, models. These are not like uh, Nicole Bass. These are real wrestlers. They are both wrestled many many years around the world. So this match should not have been this bad, and this match was extremely bad. Yeah, I was watching it, and here's the thing. I you know I I kind of knew that they were wrestlers, but just after also you know. Just in terms of the other women's matches we've seen before, I was like, at first, I, I was like, oh, well, this isn't terrible, you know, because I thought it would be even worse. They actually were pulling off spots, but then it got bad, and then it got worse, and it got worse. And the crowd um, it had no heat. The crowd didn't care at all. Yeah. Well, neither of them, they're both uh, charisma holes, like... I, I think Ivory's got a little bit more to her than Tori, but I guess also the one, my only takeaway from this was I think Tori I didn't realize how built Tori was. Like I guess in my memory she was had more of like a like a like a body like you know Becky Lynch or Sasha Banks like not a, not a particularly muscular body, but in this mm-hmm. match she looked like fucking Beth Phoenix. Like she looked like she had a yeah. real like bodybuilder body. She looked like real fucking good. Like like wrestler like performance wise. Yeah. But man, they just had no chemistry, no timing. No, it was just bad, yeah. bad, 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 bad. Also, Tori's eyebrows are really terrible. <laughs> they're like they're like kind of non-existent. It's weird. And you know what? I don't even want the story. You know what I mean? I don't care about like I, I mean, Aaron, you made me watch that horrible promo where she had those stupid words written all over her, and then I guess that's what Ivory was referencing when she wrote "slut" and "skank" on her instead. I guess. Sure, but, uh, but then get, also, that... why why is uh, Ivory trying to strip her down at the end of the match? Like, what what is that humiliation? What where is that anger coming from? When Stupid. there's been zero uh, build between these two, and just kind of prepubescent teenage minds. It's, yeah, well, it's relying on like the the cat fight trope more than an actual story. Man, yes, it, this you guys, the women stuff gets so fucking bad, and yes, parts of it get so fucking good. Mm-hmm. But let let me just also prepare everybody: like, even the good parts are bad. Like, even some of the bad, like Lita and Trish Stratus, who are two of the greatest women's performers of all time, um, tear it the fuck up. But they also are subjected to absolute humiliating, degrading shit, uh, and it is there. It just sucks. It just sucks so much, and I'm so bummed that we're gonna have to. I'm like so dreading watching so much of it. Sorry to kill the mood. <laughs> it's all right. We're, we have. Uh, I just looked at the lineup of the next few matches, and they're going to kill it for us anyway. Uh, no. Well, we'll be the next yes. one, maybe. But the one after. Okay. Let's. What are the? Yeah. What are the yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Uh, so, uh, but at the end, Luna runs out. So to uh, rescue Tori from humiliation, and but fortunately, she was too late. No one fucking cares. Yeah. And we got a rock promo. Yeah, I mean, did he? Was that? Was this another gay panic joke thing? I think it was. Yeah. Like, are you a little come see come saw? I think it is. When, yeah, I when, took it that way. When you could just do nice tie thirteen cents, and that was enough for me. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then we get it. Well, this is not going to be. This is not going to be the uh, the last of the Rock's poor decisions tonight. And we see Good Billy God, yeah. Gunn is is escorting someone around backstage who's covered in a sheet. I thought it was E.T. Honestly, <laughs> I have uh, the Elephant Man on my. <laughs> Either would have been preferable. I don't know about the Elephant Man. Maybe not. <laughs> and. And earlier in the night, we teased that we're going to be having a Lion's Den match with weapons. And this is going to be Ken Shamrock's final pay-per-view experience with the WWF. Oh, man. What a way to go. Yeah. Going out looking, Welcome to the Dodecagon. Looking super hot, though. Gotta say, he was looking... Ken Shamrock was looking swole in those little lime green trunks. Mm-hmm. Um, so, hate to see you go, but I love to watch you leave. <laughs> <laughs> and this was another one in the lead up where uh where Shamrock was hit by a car by Steve Blackman in the lead up. Little does Blackman know that Shamrock lived in a car and as such is immune to them. <laughs> impervious to being struck by well, I know the I know the ways of the car. I have walked among them. <laughs> See, actually, Steve Blackman is on his driver's license that says he's a lethal weapon. So literally everything that Steve Blackman operates becomes a weapon at some point or another. And it must be lethal. Were there, you should see him with a mandolin. Were there, were there leopard print karate sticks in there? Was I seeing that right? I didn't catch that. I don't know. I thought they were just striped. You mean like the, the, tie, the tie fighting sticks or whatever? I guess. Um... Yeah, so there was some interesting stuff happening in this match at was one there? point. <laughs> well, no, no, not really. But uh, <laughs> there was at one point, King goes, I thought there was a guillotine up there. <laughs> and I have to ask. <laughs> I, I'm going to ask. I'm going to ask a very, I'm going to ask a question that seems like a dumb question. But when we look at it in, uh, you know, in detail, I don't think it's that dumb. Is a guillotine a weapon? Yes. I think not. Uh, I guess not. Okay. Because is, an, ele- is, thing, is right? an electric chair a weapon? Is a lethal injection no. a weapon? So, yeah, I guess no. you're right. So, I guess a guillotine right, wouldn't be allowed in the weapons match. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Is- also, like, how do you how do you wield a guillotine? Do you just – do you run at them, like, with it ha- also, held, like, uh, sideways but wait, and but wait, hope that they get in it? Most importantly, if there was a guillotine, you would absolutely see it. So there's no way to be like, is there a guillotine up there? It's like, I don't know. A guillotine's like, I don't know what, fucking 12 feet tall? I'm pretty sure if there was one there, you'd know. It's like he's well, grabbing a shiv. I thought. I th- How do you grab it? I thought Eric's question was going to be, "What does Jr. think a guillotine is?" Which yes. I think is probably a, val- a valid question. But I want to go yeah. back. Oh, to, that might be. I want to go back to: Is a guillotine a weapon? Is a cannon a <laughs> yeah. weapon? Yes. A cannon is a weapon. A cannon yes. is a weapon. Okay, so yes. it doesn't need to be something handheld in order to be a weapon. No. No. Here's here's what I here's my when I think of of the definition of a weapon. I think of it as something that is used in combat or oh, in some sort. It. You know what I mean? I've it's used it. as I've, an attacking item. I've got it. Because a guillotine, an electric chair, a lethal injection, 
they all involve sort of succumbing or like surrendering to getting it. You don't fight, you don't wrestle somebody into a guillotine. You know, they have to, by rules of society, they are, um, you know, made to do it they they sort of give themselves over and surrender to it they have to like, no one is tying and they, they don't have to wrestle them into the electric chair and turn it on against their will it's like a so that's why they're not weapons necessarily whereas yeah it's so, a tool it's a it's a yeah. tool of some, so of the, of the, it's a tool of the state so if someone is is put in front of a firing squad are the guns no longer weapons they're not being used as weapons. They're they're not in a capacity as a weapon, okay. I don't think. No. Alright. I'm glad we solved that. Like, um Yeah, like uh you know, like okay, if you take like a noose in clue is a weapon, but a a noose attached to a gallows is not a weapon. Okay. So it's it's uh intent intent but you, as, as well. But a guillotine as... can't be well, I guess it could if you were like all right, guillotine as a weapon would be it's like the second to last uh, battle in a scream movie, and they're like doing a, a a stage production of Marie Antoinette, and they like while fighting the killer pushes him into a guillotine. In which case, the guillotine would be a weapon. Yeah, or like a like a right, like a um an end boss in Final Fantasy where it's just like this huge thing that actually can wield a guillotine in its hand and and will 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 capture you and put you into it. Yep, that would also Yeah, qualify. okay. Yeah, I guess that makes sense. Yeah, you like grab the guy by like you have your your hand gripped around their whole torso mm-hmm. and you shove their head into a guillotine and use it. Yeah, sure. So in thing. this case, if there was a guillotine present, that is how it would be used and therefore official ruling in this instance it would be considered would a, be a weapon. weapon. But it would have to be the size of like a cigar cutter, right? <laughs> Well, I mean, are we talking about practically or philosophically? (laughs) (laughs) Um, By the way, I really thought when when Steve Blackman took out the the tie fighting sticks, I thought he should get like another stick with two tennis balls on either side and just do devil sticks with them. (laughs) That would have been more interesting to me. I wish that when he took them out, all the lights went to black light and he did his little like um, super fun like uh, deep house uh, routine. (laughs) Right. <laughs> or whatever. This was bad. I hated it. The end. Uh, <laughs> it yep, was. Yep. Uh, it was really boring and stupid. And eventually, uh, Ken Shamrock won by um, booping him on the snoot with a with a kendo stick twice. <laughs> <laughs> Until he went on a break 10 count. And then the ending of this match was so stupid. Like, what a dumbly designed match, too. The match is over when we when we all stare at your your opponent's sleep for 10 seconds. And then someone just opens a door. Like, what the fuck? Like, could it be, like, less climactic? It's like, <laughs> he literally bops him on the head. And then we all sit there and stare at him for 10 seconds. And then someone opened a door. I was like, what the? This fucking sucked. Uh, yeah, it's a bad one for, for Ken to go out on for sure. What, what is Ken, what does Shamrock do after this? Uh, he's going back to MMA. I'm going to train to, for a return there. And I have no idea what his, his post MMA career was like. And then eventually he makes his way to impact wrestling. Is that right, Bobby? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, I think honestly, this is, I, I, you know, this is just my personal take. This is not, I, 
it might be wrong <laughs> for him financially. But it feels to me like I would understand why he would make this decision, though, even though he's walking away from the WWF at the height of its popularity. Like, he's obviously hit a ceiling, and there's no way that he's going to be able to break through the guys that are like The Rock and, and, and Austin and Undertaker that are happening now. So I can see in a way why he would want to explore greener pastures. Yeah, I guess he's used to being a bigger fish. Man. So when I look at the, the, the matches on the on this show on paper, and I, I'm like trying to pick out like what are going to be the good ones before it even starts, there are some that just sneak up on you. And this next one is one of those. So it starts with Kevin Kelly backstage to, um, talking about Shane's attack on Test. And Test has, the talking time is over, which is great because the last thing that we ever want is Test talking. But what we have here is the love her or leave her match where uh, basically Tess is fighting for the right to bang Stephanie McMahon. <laughs> um, he's come in this match injured because he was jumped beforehand. Uh, and my favorite detail here that is like Tess is such a big dumb dummy is that he's wearing bandages over his shirt. not at all how that works right like he's wearing a straight up ace bandage wrapped around his tank top but i was like uh he must he must have some serious back knee or something right because if you have a physique like that why are you covering up yeah i don't i don't know i mean i'm always of the belief that if i had a body that looked like anything i wouldn't wear it clothes at all ever uh But I think maybe it's a grass is always greener thing. And if you do have a body like that, you're like, it's cold. I should put on a shirt. (laughs) It's a little chilly in here. I have no fat to keep me warm. Yeah. I better throw a bandage on over this tank top. It might get cool later. I have to say, man, the premise of this match is that it's the fucking pits. This sucks. Well, it's certainly not the last of this kind of trope either. But, uh, right. I, I, uh, this match was fun as fuck though when yeah. it got going like it yeah. had so many yes there was like a lot of shenanigans but it was super fun like i had a really good time watching it and uh you know as the story goes that shane's especially his early matches and this one in particular is like scripted scripted move for move like it mm-hmm. is um heavily heavily choreographed no improv and so I think that Pete, makes sense, Pete which I mean, it was like three days to, to choreograph this match. They went over it. And I mean, not only for Shane, but for test and the posse as well. I mean, I think everyone in here really benefits from zero improvisation. Yeah. Everybody's super green. And if that's why um, this wasn't a technical classic at all, but it was some good brawling and uh, they really fucking went for every spot and then had some really nice high spots. Super green, like yeah, the I mean, uh, he... matching Tommy Bahama shirts that all of the Mean Street Posse are wearing. Right, so except good. for Joey Abs, who is wearing red or something. Uh, I was going to say, though, like, I, I definitely, this was a weird match because, you know, you expect it to be really shitty, but it was it was fun. And even more interesting, like, this seemed like the the beginning of the Shane as the guy who does the risky like spots like you know moves like this this that spot seemed to be you know one that 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 began getting shane the credit that he you know now has right yeah Yeah, that elbow drop was awesome that's like a signature move i um 
it, it is because I never ever want to see a Shane McMahon match ever again, ever, ever, ever. I forget how much of a spectacle these um, nineteen late nineties, early two thousands Shane McMahon matches are. Honestly, even Shane, even present day Shane, I think could still go. The problem, I think, why we're so like burned out with him is because they overexposed him as an authority figure, as a heel, as a face, feuding with AJ, feuding with Daniel Bryan, over everything. Blah, 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 blah. It was like he, it was just too much, and they threw him in a lot of like inconsequential. He started. I don't like that they started giving him his own WrestleMania match. Like, it was sort of like Undertaker mm-hmm. always had a match, and there was always, like, who's going to fight Shane this year in a Hell in a mm-hmm. Cells? We can jump off of it. Uh, and I think that also burned us out. But I feel like Shane always over-delivers. Shane and Stephanie both, I think, over-deliver in the ring. Oh, Stephanie for sure over-delivered uh, in her appearance in this match. Well, she, really- again... Wears the worst shoes I've ever seen. Terrible, awful shoes. Absolutely awful shoes. They're like they're like uh, open toe wedges. Ugh. They look so bad. They're like heavy black leather too. It's like, it's like yes. Everything everything she wears looks like it's so sensible. She's just like she's like an eight bit like horse hoof. That's what she's wearing <laughs> on her on her foot. What was the point of setting up a couch, and not just a couch, having a lamp next to it for the posse to sit on during this match? Well, apparently the posse bought their own weapons. They actually, like, they told, like, they, they bought them. So they, like, they bought the mailbox and stuff like that, mm-hmm. that at an actual, like, Greenwich hardware store, um, and brought a bunch of that stuff with them. I'm not sure the couch, but it's been just an idea. Probably easier to catch for the press and throw um, spot. Um, the, and the couch wouldn't even tip over all the way at first. But I, I liked I liked the slow eventual mm-hmm. fall backwards. Um, but the mailbox was actually still like on display at like the WWE like warehouse of of uh, props and gimmicks. And I do believe that all Greenwich mailboxes have to have dollar signs on it. I think that that is in the uh, the covenant that you uh, when you enter a neighborhood your your mailbox must have a dollar sign on it. Um. It's like yeah, it's like the Stepford Wives and the King Cell. Like oh, that sign is from Greenwich Avenue for the. Uh, I thought it was funny. That picture shot. Yeah, as, I, 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 I thought it's funny that like um, Shane's posse steals street signs just like I did with my friends in high school. <laughs> Do you think Shane? Wait, what? Did you, which one? Which one did you say uh, looked dope? Oh, the the picture shot. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That was really good. That was definitely what, sugar. What class. was your question? Yes. Do you think Do you think Shane McMahon went to to his father very young and was like, "Papa, I wish to be a gymnast," and and he was like, "No, we're not having any of that." But if you want to do it, you can leap to your doom from uh, the top of the ring. <laughs> right. He's like, you know, a real gymnast is uh, it's a man who can take a bump. Um, there was a, you know, speaking of how this match is fully choreographed, uh, they had this, like, Shane did a moonsault corkscrew. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Yep. That, I don't know if it was the camera or what, but it looked like it was nowhere near test. Like, it was, it was cool. It was a cool looking move, but also just like, in terms of how it looked 
as effective it didn't look effective at all. Like it didn't even look like Tess dodged it. It just looked like oh, yeah, I thought he was it looked like Shane was doing to doing the move to do the move. I thought he was supposed to dodge that. I, if I remember that spot correctly. Yeah, that's what I thought too. I I guess what I'm saying is it didn't look like that. It looked like it looked like just like Shane is just like I'm gonna do this move and like and Tess is not gonna be near it and like they I kind of said like oh he dodged it but like not really. I don't know. I kind of thought that was cool. I just feel like Shane McMahon's one of those people where I'm like, gives me faith that's like, yeah, if I had to, like, I would do a couple weeks of training and I could do like a fucking springboard <laughs> moot salt or whatever. <laughs> I, could, I could do that. Like, if Shane McMahon could do it, I could learn to do it. Like, I could never, I would have to like have a lifetime training to catch up to, you know, AJ Styles or whatever, or Ricochet. But like, Shane McMahon, I'm like, I could probably do that if I was willing to like uh, drink, have enough liquid courage or whatever. I could jump off the top Wait. of the thing and land like that. He's just basically Wait, falling. You think, you think a lifetime of training you could catch up to Ricochet? I think you'd need like several lifetimes and maybe five different bodies. Wow. What is he doing with all the bodies? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> like, I, I think you could train me every single day for my life and I would never be able to do what Ricochet does. I don't think that's true. I think yeah, I, think, I, think, I don't think with yeah. that level of training, I think it'd take a lot. It's, it's highly unlikely. No offense to any of us, but we're talking like uh, like Russian gymnast level training here. Yeah, where you're like, like like snatched from your uh, from your parents at five years old and only do only train you, to do this. I think yeah, any of us ha- could do this. Yeah, you would have to have a full yeah, but- time give up your whole life, Kumail Nanjani, Chris Pratt, like transformation. Mm-hmm. Where like your whole life would be eating, sleeping, drinking, training for this. Like you were in that in, in like the first half of Kill Bill Two. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, I'll put it this way: There's a reason why there aren't like five more ricochets running around, right? Like, like if 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 I if everybody knew that all I need to do to become ricochet is just like follow this path of training all the time, we would probably get more of them. But I'm sure there are just people who just can't do it, right? Like I don't have the body type to do that, no matter how much you train me. Like there's a, there, you know, like there are body sizes and body types that just are not, you know, you can maybe you could eventually teach me how to do a backflip, but you're never going to teach me how to fucking fly. I don't know if I, I, I don't know. I, I think you can. I think it'd be harder. I think some people are are naturally. Like, uh, your ceiling will never be the same as his ceiling because there are, like, when you get down to, like, Michael Phelps has, like, lung capacity that's bigger than ours. and like Yeah, arms. yeah, exactly. But that doesn't mean we can't swim. It just means we can't do it. We'll never be able to beat him in a race. I'll never be able to probably outflip Ricochet. And at this point, it's too late for me to have enough time left in literal my time left on Earth to train enough to get there. But I don't think it's, like, I think everybody has the ability to learn the skill set if they devoted if they had the ability to devote the time and training to it mm, like anything okay. it's like learning Maybe. it's like learning guitar it's like i'll never be the virtuoso that jimmy hendrix was but if i quit my job and, and like spent every day playing guitar like some sort of like weird under like the tutelage of someone you know what i mean where i had to like carry guitars up a up a long staircase of a spire every day like some training sequence <laughs> in like a movie you know what i mean like how do you then think, I think you I'd learn how to play good. the guitar <laughs> If I knew Aaron, there'd be a lot more Jimi Hendrixes walking around. <laughs> Sorry, Bobby, we're gonna we're gonna bury you in a coffin now. You have to learn how to uh, play a guitar solo that will get you out. You could do the intro of "Smoke Out of Water." We'll let you out. <laughs> what are we talking about? <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. 
<laughs> what match are we on? What's happening? Oh, right. Tess and Shane McMahon. Uh, so anyway, yeah, so, I could jump off a top rope and land on a table. <laughs> okay, so here's a question. Is is Test over with the crowd? I think in this match, yeah. Right? It seemed like he was. Because we're still in the um, the we want to get one over on, on the bad McMahons, I think we are invested enough that we want to see Test and Stephanie happy together. Sure. <laughs> I'm not invested in it at all. But yeah. No, I'm saying we as in, in me in 1999. The viewing audience. Yes. Yeah. But Tess wins. All right, whatever. Yeah, Tess wins. He gets to bang Shane's sister. Then we go back. And that started her That started her love of long blonde hair that eventually gives way to uh, just bald. <laughs> just you wait and see that story, Eric. Oh, no. Okay. Someone making tea? Yeah, well, we're making second coffee. <laughs> the David's playing Fortnite with his headphones on, and I was like, "Get the fuck!" <laughs> Sorry. Okay. You ready? Yes. I was, hoping, I was hoping to sneak away very quickly and just like flag him, but then it just didn't work out that way. <laughs> Next, we're backstage to Kane and Xbox, who gets asked uh, about this match on paper. It seems that they don't have a chance, and Xbox says, "On paper, this ain't paper." And I was thinking in my head, yes, but this is a pay-per-view. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah, no, he's right. Matches are not on paper. Um, <laughs> point for X-Pac. Unless you're playing a tabletop RPG of wrestling, in which case they <laughs> think technically they would be on paper. They would be on paper. This match is on paper, yeah. yeah. The um the run up to the allegiance between Big Show and the Undertaker included an insane promo where the Undertaker says that he went to a motorcycle club, asked for two Harleys, but one with just enough gas to get out into the middle of Death Valley. They drove out there. Big Show then Big Show's motorcycle ran out of gas. Um, he tried to steal the Undertaker's motorcycle, but Undertaker just rode away. And then two days later, Big Show emerged from the desert with a Harley Davidson on his shoulder and a snakeskin tie. Wow, that that sounds uh, similar to the the episode of Justice League Unlimited when like uh, Superman winds up on a planet where he doesn't have his powers. And he just like has to fight like wolves, and he basically makes a coat out of the wolves after he kills them. Oh, that's cool! See, it's like a red sun planet. Yeah, I think it reminds me of Nathan being like, "Whoa, let me tell you the dream I had last night." And I'm like, "No." And he's like, "I was in the desert. Nope, with the big show. I don't want to hear it." And we both have motorcycles. Oh god! And then we're driving the motorcycles. The big show didn't have enough gas, so I left him there. And he tried to chase me, but then he couldn't. And then he said, "I'm like Nathan. I really don't want to hear any more about your dream. <laughs> like that's what I would do. Why did, I want to do that in your story. <laughs> why do Why do people think that uh, that people want to hear about their dreams? But God, it's like, I think it all the time. Sorry, I have good ones. <laughs> I dream well. No way. Nathan this morning even was like, oh, I had a crazy dream last night. I was like, I don't care. And he's like, I wrote it down. He's a good, I wrote it down in the notes of my app. And I was like, great, keep it there. I don't want to know. Don't tell me. <laughs> uh, so I want to talk about uh, a little bit of the recap because, you know, they always they always um, have some of, of uh, Undertaker's choice words uh, from the, 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 
you know, the different promos he's cut in the recap. And I swear to God, it like Undertaker is an, a very an extremely good wrestler. He's got the longevity, but holy shit, this guy on the mic is just I I I've never I don't think I I don't think I've ever found him interesting or anything but just like the Pete Buttigieg of like wrestlers. Oof. At one point he says he he talks about this is pure unadulterated hate and evil. And I'm like, what does adulterated <laughs> hatred look like? <laughs> like what does adulterated evil look like? What's the inferior hatred that you'd like to tell me about? It's like pure like, hatred but there's just like a little like sprinkling of kindness. <laughs> right, right. This hatred's been adulterated with sympathy and empathy. Wait a right. minute. Yeah, it's like uh I hate the homeless, but you know, you have to wonder what really led them to that state. <laughs> That's a very interesting uh interesting commentary on, on where your mind goes when it comes to hatred, Eric. <laughs> I just I just don't want them in my backyard. Um but yeah, no, it, it like everything he says is just like uh you know, generic dime store fucking I'm evil. Mmm evil. <laughs> yeah, it is like super I mean I, I, I agree. I and mean, this is like one of my some of my least favorite Undertaker bullshit where it's just like it's just nonsense. It's like there's better yeah. writing on like cartoons for much younger children. It's like this is very, very lazy, stupid stuff. He talks about renaming SummerSlam Armageddon, and I'm like, that's another pay-per-view. You can't do that. I don't have a lot of notes for this match, though, because I was enjoying the hell out of it. Surprisingly fun. Yeah. Xbox could be a lot of fun sometimes, and I really – and Kane uh, – could be a lot of fun and i think big show and taker we're doing we're you know sure slow things down a bit but well i mean fine. x-pac x in a match with all these big guys he's just begging to get tossed all over the place yes yeah, yeah x-pac feature uh x-pac against big show looks like a toddler who's being disciplined by a parent and and like it's yeah yeah, yeah, and being in like the uh, the arena of all these giants, like even when he goes for the low blows and stuff as a face, it doesn't seem that out of place because it's almost like, oh, the little guy's just doing everything that he can. Yeah, no, he's he's just so small. Um, <laughs> I have a question. So, like, uh, what's it called when they just like like lift the guy up? Is it like a military press? What is that? So. So you're saying when they're standing and they're holding them like over their head, perpendicular? Yeah. Like a T, like a giant yeah. T? Yeah, that's a military press. Yeah. So when they're doing a military press, like they they really just like they their their bot their right hand just goes straight into the the crotch taint area, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like there's no getting around that. Do you like do you think a finger goes in the butt? No. Like, do you think uh, like a, there's like entry of of any point Look, when they're holding them up? No, I've got my hands down there a lot. I imagine what they're doing is they're that they, their hand basically rests almost more like on the between their groin and their thigh. You know what I mean? Like in that, like on the side of their dick, more like like on if they're wearing briefs, it would be on the outside of their briefs, like right in the little crease there is where their hand would fit. I would think, and then I don't think uh, they'd either cup some butt. 
but I don't think they're in crack. Do you think they ever smell their hand <laughs> okay. after? Huh? No. Uh, no. No, I don't know what. You know what? I'm not going to continue this thought. Let's keep it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, I, I definitely have like a pay, I pay close attention to hand placement in some of these maneuvers. <laughs> I also thought like, you know, so I, I think the whole thing with X-Pac and this kind of matches like a David versus Goliath, like, yeah. like look and feel. Uh, and I, I, I wonder if there's like, like porn that's like themed like this there must be porn what right where there's just like a really big dude and a really small dude eric <laughs> okay just making sure and not to not, look i don't want to spoil the sixth sense for you but <laughs> <laughs> but show and take her win this one but can they coexist and this is historic um, because this is the first pay-per-view where the Intercontinental Tag Team title... Oops, and I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> uh, all the titles are going to change over. So it's interesting, I think, to see this title change over. Also, the Hardcore Championship changed over earlier. It's okay. You don't. It's it's 20 years. You don't need to put the spoiler tag on there. I know. I, this I, isn't I the sixth sense. I know, but sometimes I forget because I don't want to say things that are going to happen at the next pay-per-view or the next show or whatever because I don't want to ruin it for Eric. Uh, and I forget. Oh, you mean like The Rock turning face? No. <laughs> that. Sorry. But yes, new tag champions who then will go on to face the Acolytes for their last match earlier. And backstage, Jesse Ventura wants to talk to Austin, but Austin just like walks away, which I think was the best move in that situation. That what who was like you know what we need we need every beat of this bit right we he needs to talk to all three of them we just how we need more speeches from from the body the next match um we've seen a lot of a lot of shitty things throughout um throughout watching these pay-per-views and throughout watching the w the the raws and everything this was the first time I think that I was getting like physically upset during a match to the point that I wanted to turn it off. Yeah, this this is this is the the low point of the night. So this is yeah. this is Mr. Ass versus The Rock in a kiss my ass match, except it turns out it's not a kiss my ass match because the person that is that Mr. Ass has been parading around in underneath the sheet turns out to be just a woman, just a a regular overweight woman without a name that it's not going to be his ass that the rock kisses. It's going to be this woman's ass. And then the commentary team proceeds to degrade this nameless, innocent person through the entire match. And I hated it. By the way, even if she were guilty, they, you know, like, why? Why? You know what I mean? Like, there, there's just no, there's no reason for this. Well, I'm saying if there, if there was like an overweight female wrestler as, as crass as it would be, I mean, or if it was, there's going to be a, a well-known ass coming into the company in the near future, then I can see that. But this person with with zero agency and zero voice 
in this situation who's just been paraded out to be humiliated made it if she was part of this 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 carnival atmosphere then at least i would be able to say that yeah it's real sideshow uh you know shit like you know like uh yeah it's carny this is like full-on carny like people aren't people don't have feelings uh everything is at is like its basest its worst side of humanity um you know this woman is literally here for us to just comment on and think about whether or not she's wearing underwear and how terrible it would look you know it must be to kiss her ass like just like the literally literally nothing redeeming and to the point where it actually anything that may have looked good in the match like looked way worse because of the context of the match Yeah, I mean, this is terrible. We all agree this is very gross. And I don't feel any need to spend any more time on it, you guys. I mean, this is basically going to be the end of Billy Gunn's big singles push. Mm-hmm. Uh, Austin originally, he was supposed to work with Austin originally, and Austin was like, no, I'm not doing it. And then he worked with The Rock in this match. Obviously, his angle is bad. He bloodies The Rock's nose at one point, which he was not supposed to. That was not supposed to happen. And The Rock was like, fuck this, I'm not working with this guy anymore either. Now that essentially is going to be the end of Billy Gunn's push. Wow. Well, he really went out. Uh, you know, he flew too close to the sun. Yeah, really, uh, really glad we made him king of the ring instead of China. So, so like, Rock, you know, did was Rock like fine with this angle? I, I. Don't know who's feeling within this angle, but I imagine not great. <laughs> Probably happier that he wasn't the one who had to, like, be the one who's supposed to be humiliated by it. He was getting over at yeah. least, but this sucked. Everything about this sucks. Yep. Next. Yep. And so that's the main event, which, uh, as the very long, um, the, the very long intro to this match lets you know that it was a, a very convoluted build to get us to these three competitors in the main event for the WWF title. We've got Triple H, we've got Mankind, and we've got the champion Stone Cold Steve Austin. And when we last left off, Triple H had beaten The Rock in the fully loaded strap match in order to make himself the number one contender. But then someone hit stone cold steve austin in the head with a cinder block and then Shawn michaels comes out and says uh, i think it was you triple h so you're no longer the number one contender and there were a whole bunch of matches to decide who would be the number one contender and for a while there it looked like we were going to get china versus steve austin for the main event of SummerSlam. eventually mick foley made his way back in and through actually it was it was a pretty good match where uh Mick Foley and Triple H had to duke it out to see who it would be to face Austin. They wind up knocking each other out. They they land on each other, and because both Shawn Michaels and Shane McMahon were the special refs, they both counted one, two, three, and they were both considered the winner to face Austin. That illustrious history of the special referee, it always comes into play. <laughs> I gotta say, I found this match to be pretty boring. 
actually thought it was pretty. Yep. I liked it. I thought it was pretty okay. good. All things like considering like, uh, but I guess I was saying relative to like the what these main event matches have been. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of things happening, uh, and obviously the booking has been crazy. But I thought it was exciting. I thought it was more fun than it would have been a one than a one than Steve would have had a one on one match with either guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the ending. I. I was a little bit bored by it. I also I don't think they've worked they've quite worked out the triple threat like choreography. The dynamic. Yeah, it still it still feels felt a little weird. This time it was like, oh, well now two of us will team up on the third one, but then one person will just kind of watch the other two. It was there was still a little bit of you know, kinks I think to work out. It felt I mean, obviously, with um, with Jesse Ventura there and with a title change happening, it isn't quite that. But it felt more like the main event of a Raw, which would end in like a schmozzy kind of finish. So there's a couple, you know, the booking for this was so crazy when it should have been pretty obvious Triple H and Austin. And depending on who you ask, there's like three theories as to like why they did this. The first is there's a lot of folks dealing with injuries at this point. Austin's had some nagging injuries. McFoley's been out with some nagging injuries. Undertaker's got nagging injuries. People are getting banged up. So there's a little bit of hesitation as to like who's going to be around to mm-hmm. be the main event of SummerSlam and like keeping things kind of liquid. Uh, there's another theory that they just wanted to do some swerving that they, you know, typical Vince Russo style loves to swerve them. Uh, and the third is that Austin didn't want to put Triple H over. Because he didn't uh, appreciate Shawn Michaels and Triple H's influence around the company. And Austin around this time is obviously the biggest star in the company. Also kind of getting a little bit of reputation for being difficult to work with. Not wanting to work with Billy. He did, He also turned down a program with Jeff Jarrett. Uh, he, he didn't want to work with Jeff Jarrett. And there's rumor that he didn't want to put Triple H over here. When clearly Triple H was the next guy in line for the title. Mm-hmm. Um, why didn't he want to work with Jeff Jarrett? Was because of Deborah? No, they have history apparently where I think Jarrett cut a promo on Austin's 316 promo at one point without like getting Austin's okay on it. And Austin didn't like the way that sat with him. And then also he just didn't think Jeff Jarrett was over enough and didn't want to get him over. It was like if he gets over on his own, he'll do a program with him, but not if he's not going to be the guy to like get him over. Right. I mean, look. So I think that I, all, that contributed to some of this sort of shenanigans going on in this match. Was I think uh, any combination of those things? I mean, I do love seeing Mick Foley get a win on a huge stage, and so I'll I'll definitely give it to this because I feel like. This is the first time that he took the championship on a pay-per-view. Is that right? I believe so. Because it was Raw raw and Halftime Heat. Mm. There's a fourth. This is the fourth, isn't it? I want to say. Or third. Now I can't remember. Oh, no. Don't ruin it for me. (laughs) You'll be all right, Eric. Yeah. Anyone else with anything on this match? Um, I thought China. Nope. I, I I think China's looking great here. I love yeah. the way she's uh, she's just like again beaming. And the clips I saw those those matches that she had look like they at least look good in the highlight reel. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then what else do I have anything on this match? I think. Oh, uh, other, there's a notable part here that people talk about a lot. Uh, Steve Austin was not yet used to wearing two knee braces. Uh, and there's a moment, it's hard, you might have noticed that something was up, but it was like hard to tell what. When Shane comes out, uh, both Austin and Jesse like stand on the ropes to like taunt him on the apron. And Austin actually fell over and got tangled, got his knee brace caught and was stuck in the ropes. Oh, uh, I didn't Triple H, Triple H had to run over and pretend to be beating him up while also kind of like freeing him at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny oh okay it's kind of like a, it's not like a famous spot but people often talk about that spot when they talk about this pay-per-view by the way um i know we've mentioned triple h's current music a lot um i decided that the beginning part sounds uh like the aol dial-up <laughs> <laughs> he's got mail all right guys should we wrap it up yeah. Let's do it. Take it home. All right. For years, WWE hosted a yearly award show called the Slammy Awards, and we end each episode of Hell in a Cell Phone with our own version of the Slammies in a segment we call For Your Reconsideration. I'll go up first. I'm, right. uh, I'm, I'm sending you something in the chat right now. I'm going with the What's in the Box Award. <laughs> During the Al Snow... Um, the Al Snow uh, Big Boss Man match, Pepper's crate, which Pepper was certainly inside it at the time as he was being used to beat him. Um, there is a trunk backstage that says Benoit on it. And I just spent the rest of the match wondering what's inside there. Because it's not like Benoit was in the um, was in the WWF or it would still be a few months before he shows up. Is Benoit just a regular thing that they put? On Trunks backstage? I don't know. In uh actually in, in Chris Benoit's uh autobiography, it, it starts with him inside the box waiting <laughs> for his first appearance, and then he tells his whole backstory, and then it ends with just before they open the box and he comes out <laughs> and he goes, It's me, a Benoit <laughs> I don't know why he has an Italian accent, but I'm at a cripple across face. I'll jump in. Uh, I'll go. Oh, oh you want to get which one? I'll jump in. It's just uh, okay. I'm going to give my uh, I saw the signs slammy to some really good signs. I feel like I saw at the beginning of the show. Uh, there was Debra Debra, which I thought was a uh, little play on words. They're almost like a uh, is it the Casper ads that were on the subway that had like, the little like uh, pictograms riddles? That's what this was like. I felt like to me <laughs> Debra Debra. Uh, Wanda said, "Big Show equals fat bastard," which I'd love to know. Was uh, was Austin Powers two out at this time? It had to have been, right? When did yes, the movie come definitely, out? Definitely, yes. definitely. Okay, so uh, is he calling Big Show a fat bastard, or is he saying that he is <laughs> he fat bastard? The character. The character from He's the character Austin fat Powers, bastard. Yeah, which did come out in 1999 and would have been topical. Um. Oh yeah. There was Wash Me Down with Ivory, which I thought was a little on the nose, but I appreciated at least some kind of like wordplay there. And then my favorite just said, Laura ruined our summer. So wherever you are, Laura, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you for ruining the summer of 99. We'll never have another one. Well, uh, I was going to give the congratulations. You're on Bobby Hankinson's wavelength to the sign that said Debra Debra. <laughs> oh. So it's... Pretty fitting that you uh, that you called it out as well. 
I just when I saw that sign, I just remembered when when Bobby went all conspiracy theory about how the what the etymology of Deborah <laughs> was and how it must have been about Debra. <laughs> so someone else thought the same thing. All right, great work today, guys. Love us, disagree, want to beat us with a crutch, and then another crutch? Let us know. Email us at helenacellphone at gmail.com. Get updates on Facebook or Twitter at Pod or tweet at us individually, Eric at Prime Silver, Bobby at Bobby Hank, and Aaron at Slowpass. Our theme song is There Are Traders in Our Mitts by Disco Vietnam, and our artist by Alexis Yavni. Find links for both in our episode notes. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll be back again soon for Unforgiven 1999. Actually, Helena Cell Phone is uh, our spinoff podcast about Aaron's days learning how to sail a ship uh, <laughs> when his parents bought one. Nope, I was immediately bad at it, and so I just pushed the boat to the other side of the room, collecting, <laughs> collecting dust with the rollerblades. And the uh, the the oil paint, the tuba, tuba. yes, yes, all of them. The the uh, chair and the lion and the whip, the corn CD. (laughs) What a poser! All right, I'm gonna stop. (laughs)